In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And light and time and sky and sea and mountains and plants and sun and moon and stars and and birds and fish and cows and sheep and spiders and even cats. (laughs) And then at the pinnacle of creation, he made human beings. And he put them in a garden, in a land called Eden, in the east. And behold, the Lord God wished them all the best and retreated to a safe distance in heaven. No, no, no. In the beginning, God lived with his people. Not far off. Not hard to access. This garden wasn't just a dwelling place for man. It was a dwelling for God. Adam and Eve walked with God and talked with God and just knew the joy of being with God. This was always the creator's design. In this garden, heaven and earth met. This was a temple garden. Because what's a temple? if not the overlap of the divine and the earthly. This was a mountain garden with four rivers flowing out of it. Through the ages, high places have been seen as places for encountering God, which is why so many civilizations built their temples on mountains or made man-made mountains called pyramids. And in those pagan cultures, at the very center of their temple stood a clay statue or an image in Hebrew Tzalem of their God, inanimate but expressing something of what their God looked like or or was like, showing the world something of of who that God that those people worshipped. But in this garden, the true and original temple, God himself placed an image, a tselem, of himself. He made it from the mud of the ground, but this was far from a lifeless statue. Into this image, into this first human being, God breathed his breath of life. And this living, breathing image of God was the focus of his delight. Eden means delight, and humans were right in the middle. People were created to live alongside their creator. Can you imagine it? Living in the dwelling place of God, ultimate closeness to the one who made us. The peace of of being in the tangible presence of the one who is love and who is very pleased of what he has made in you. No fear, no, no hiding, just intimacy. If you long for that, it's because you were made for that kind of relationship with God. 
However, this beautiful relationship between man and God was not the only relationship in Eden. God didn't just create one human being to live in his dwelling place with him. He created two, Adam and Eve, male and female, different and yet the same, two and yet one, living together in the first human community. And what was their community to be like? Like everything else about humans, their community was to reflect what God was like. In the Trinity, God exists in a perfect, united, harmonious community, Father, Son, and Spirit, all dwelling in peace together eternally, never divided or fractured, but one. And people were to be likewise. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? See, we were designed to live in a peaceful relationship with God and with one another in the dwelling place of God. And in the beginning, we did. And if that had been all, it would have been glorious. But there's more. You see, human beings aren't just designed for relationship. We're designed for purpose. And God gave that purpose to his people in two commands. Work and keep the garden. And be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. To work, in Hebrew, avad, means to cultivate and and to bring order. To keep, in Hebrew, shamar, to, to watch over, to protect and to guard. Adam was to bring order to the temple garden and to keep the dwelling place of God holy and free from corruption. But Adam and Eve's purpose was not limited to simply maintaining their little garden. The Eden community was never designed to just live cozily within the garden fence. Human beings were commissioned by God to take the blessings of Eden into all the earth until, in the words of the prophet Habakkuk that we have already heard twice this morning, I promise there was no sharing of notes beforehand, the whole earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The beauty of Eden was always meant to escalate and expand until the whole earth became a heavenly temple where God dwelled with his people. The Garden of Eden was was not the end of the creation project. It was the beginning But then, the images of God in his temple failed to keep every command they had been given. Adam failed to guard the holiness of God's dwelling, allowing space for evil to enter in. Adam and Eve then allowed their perfect, intimate relationship with God to be called into question by a lying snake who should never even have been there. Falling for the snake's deception, Adam and Eve rejected their identity as images of God and chose instead to grasp at being God. You see, in God's creation, only he can define good and bad. But they wanted to make themselves the judge. They broke their relationship with God, and having done that, they turned on one another. They blamed each other for their failures before God, and they were exiled from the garden from the dwelling place of God. To keep their sin out, God stationed cherubim, angelic creatures, to guard the entrance at the east of the garden. 
Adam and Eve, the, the very people who were meant to extend God's dwelling into all the earth, couldn't even access the presence of God themselves. Because the holiness of God and the, the corruption of sin just cannot coexist. Bad went to worse, and before long, God saw that instead of multiplying blessing through the earth, this exiled people just spread evil wherever they went. And by just the sixth chapter of our story, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The original creation project to establish God's holy dwelling in all the earth among his beloved people appeared dead in the water. And in another story, it might have been, but not this story. See, the rest of the Bible is a story of God's relentless desire to dwell with his people, whatever the cost. It's a story of God's redemptive plan to fully and perfectly fulfill the creation blueprint. And it's a roller coaster ride. First, God chose a man called Abraham, sinful like all the rest, and made him a promise. Through you, he said, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Can, can you hear the echoes of the original Eden commission to Adam and Eve to fill the earth with the blessings of Eden? And over and over again, God told Abraham and his family, I will bless the earth through you. I hope you hear the shift. No longer a command, but a promise. God himself will make this happen. But the problem remained. How could a holy and perfect God dwell with a people so riddled with sin? In time, Abraham's family became a nation, and under the leadership of Moses, God gave them the law, 613 commandments, setting out the standard of what it would look like to be a holy nation, so holy that a holy God could dwell with them. And in Leviticus, God told them, if you do all I have said in the law, I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you, those words again. And I will walk with you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. You know human beings well enough by now to know that they didn't keep their end of the deal. Almost as soon as God gave them the law, they broke it. And yet, God still didn't give up on his people or his plan. In the wilderness, he told them to build a special tent for him to dwell in, the tabernacle. Later, God gave his people a land to live in, in Israel, and so the portable tabernacle became a solid temple made of stone and wood in the city of Jerusalem. And in the building of both the tabernacle and the temple, God gave the Israelites a lot of detail about what it should look like. I don't know if you've ever read those bits of the Bible and just been like, why am I reading page after page and chapter after chapter about ancient Israelite interior decoration? Like, why am I meant to care about the golden candlesticks and the purple fabrics and the pomegranates on the pillars and the floral carvings and the dimensions of the structure or which way the entrance faces? Well, because it's important. 
It's all about this central question. How will God dwell with his people on earth? Almost every detail of the tabernacle and later the temple harks back to the Garden of Eden, the original temple. And here are just a few examples I'm not going to share them all because we'd be here all day, but first, it took seven years to build the temple, reflecting the seven days of the Genesis 1 creation account. The priests in the temple were commanded to work and keep the temple space, just like Adam in the garden. Garden imagery is, is everywhere in the decoration. The gold and precious gems that is used over and over again call to mind the rich raw materials around Eden in Genesis 2. And most importantly, the tabernacle and the temple have a series of spaces that get more and more holy the closer to the middle you get, mirroring the garden that lay within the land of Eden in the east. The furthest out was the land of Israel and the nations of the world. In the Eden story, the dry land in the east lay the furthest out. In Jerusalem, when you first entered the temple complex, you came into a courtyard by an eastern gate. Well, the courtyard corresponded to the land of Eden, which was also accessed on the eastern side. Within the temple courtyard lay the holy place, mirrored by the garden that lay within Eden. And at the center of the temple complex, in a cubic room called the Holy of Holies, God chose to dwell. In the Eden story, right in the middle of the garden was the tree of life. In the temple, guarding the way to God's dwelling in the Holy of Holies was a curtain with cherubim, embroidered on it. And this reminded Israel that God's cherubim had been placed at the entrance to God's dwelling in Eden to keep sin on the outside. Because the holiness of God and the sin of man could not coexist. Therefore, an elaborate system of purification rituals and sacrifices was required for any human being to come anywhere close, let alone actually come into the Holy of Holies where God lived. Access to God remained limited and his dwelling remained restricted. This was hardly the fulfillment of the creation project, but it was a step in the right direction. And the high point of the Old Testament came when God's presence dramatically filled the temple in Jerusalem. God's glorious dwelling was once again among his people. But God's people remained addicted to their own sin and lust for power. The rebellion that started in Eden rolled on, generation after generation. And God saw their injustice, their cruelty, their arrogance, their greed, their selfishness. And God said, enough. And he abandoned his temple and allowed an invading army of pagans to burn it to the ground 
the people among whom he desired to dwell were scattered. The prophets of Israel had long warned about this. They received dark visions of God's presence leaving the temple and punishment coming to Israel. But they also spoke of a future hope. One day, they said, this corrupted Jerusalem would be replaced by a new Jerusalem. Creation would be remade. There'd be a new temple for God to dwell in with a new kind of purified priesthood. Isaiah said it like this, in the last days, it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The Israelites eventually returned to their land in dribs and drabs, and a new temple was constructed. Isaiah's vision was left unfulfilled, that corruption and injustice and sin continued. But still, God was not finished. The plan would be completed. He, he would dwell with his people and all the nations of the earth would be included just like the prophet had said. But then it went quiet. And for hundreds of years, the people waited. And then a virgin found herself pregnant. And a baby was born. And we're told that this child was Emmanuel. God with us. Approachable and and touchable. Walking and talking and blessing and, and healing. In John's gospel, we're told that when Jesus came, God himself had come to tabernacle or dwell with us. In Jesus, the Apostle Paul later wrote, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. As a man, Jesus announced that the kingdom of heaven had touched down on earth and that a new creation was being born right here in the middle, in the heart of this broken and worn out world. And he gathered a community around himself and taught them what this heavenly society would look like. And it sounded like Eden, only better. He taught them and showed them that human beings were designed to have an unbroken relationship with God and with one another. And when they did that, everything would look different to how it had been since the original exile from Eden. The first would be last. The poor would be blessed. The meek would inherit the earth. In his life, Jesus, fully God, and yet also fully man, perfectly fulfilled those holiness requirements in the law. And yet, 
He allowed himself to be killed like a rebel. He willingly took all the punishment our rebellion has always deserved so that we could become pure and holy, not by our own efforts, but by his power. That age-old problem that kept us from the presence of God. Sin, it is finished. And if you haven't yet put all your trust in Jesus to deal with the sin that keeps you from God, you can do that today. Your own efforts will not be enough. You need the power of Jesus. You, You need to give your life to him. He wants to remove that sin that keeps you from God. And he wants to take it as far away as the east is from the west so that you can know the presence of God closer than you ever dreamed. As he died, that curtain that hung in the rebuilt temple with the cherubim guarding the way to the Holy of Holies ripped from the top to the bottom. The gateway to God was open again. God had done it. Every promise that he'd ever made to dwell with his people was yes in Jesus Christ. Shortly before he died, Jesus had told his opponents something strange. He told them that he was the temple, and that although they would destroy it, he would raise up again in three days. Sure enough, three days after his death, Jesus, this living, breathing temple of God, rose again, and he promised his followers that he would dwell with them to the end of the age. But then he left. Those same followers saw him ascend into heaven out of sight. Was this part of the plan? Surely he was just on the cusp of of completing the creation project. And then he just left. But as he promised, he didn't leave his people alone. A few days later, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit, inhabiting each one of his followers on earth. On the day of Pentecost, the church was born. And the early church understood something that you and me need to get our heads around today. The church knew that Jesus was the new temple. He was their head and they were his body on the earth. They were We are the temple of God, the body of Christ. Not a building made of bricks, but people of living stones being built together as the house of God. And we're going to hear lots more about the Holy Spirit dwelling within individual believers next week. It's so important to this story. But I want us to grasp today not just who you are as an individual, as someone in whom the Spirit dwells, but who We are together as the temple of God on earth. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? We're so quick to hear you and think, me. 
We don't really have a, a good, neat way of, of, of saying what Paul is meaning here, which is plural you. You all, all of you. Most of us don't have a good way of saying that. My wife is from the US and uh, we've got family visiting from Georgia at the moment. And they don't have this problem. They would say, y'all. <laughs> Maybe in Scotland we'd say yous. Do you not know that y'all, yous, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? Together. And once you see this theme in the New Testament, you, you cannot unsee it. It is just there over and over again. Church, do you understand what we are? What we are here for? As we've looked at the story that we're all part of, I hope God is opening your eyes to the significance of the church. This is not a social club to help you like, make more like-minded friends, although it can do that. This is not a group of people just here to, existing to help you just behave that little bit better. This is not an entertainment experience to make you feel nice for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. This community is the dwelling place of God Almighty who has planned from the beginning to live with his chosen people. Together, we are a mini temple and joining with other mini temples all over the world. We are the dwelling place of God on earth. The church is a foretaste of the new creation promised in the prophets. We continue to exist in a broken and decaying world, and we're still surrounded by and affected by the consequences of sin. But we are a people in whom restoration has begun. We have been reconciled to God and to one another, just like it was in the beginning. The Apostle Paul said that this new creation community should be characterized by faith, working through love. In other words, our faith in Jesus will produce in us love for others. How we relate to one another here really matters. Just like it mattered how Adam and Eve related to one another in the garden. Their relationship was created to reflect God. Paul urged the churches that he worked with to, to live at peace with one another and to give generously to those in need. And then in the book of Acts, we see the early church doing exactly that, sharing all they had with one another so that all experienced abundance. And if, if God, our holy God, dwells in us, then sin has no lasting place here, just like it had no place in the garden. Repentance and forgiveness are at the heart of who we are. We seek the fruit of the Spirit, joy and love and peace and patience, and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. When we gather, we must expect to encounter the God who dwells with us. Through the personal experience of the Holy Spirit, yes, but also through one another. As we worship together, your worship makes me more 
aware of the presence of God. My prayers help point you to God. One person's service, making coffee or church lunch or looking after the kids or setting out chairs, they help another see God. Financial generosity of one blesses another and reflects the character of the God who dwells here. And as we love one another in these ways, we are keeping this temple, just like Adam was commissioned to do, allowing no room for the snake and his deceptions. And let me remind you, our purpose is not just in maintaining this beautiful community. We're not meant to live cozily within the walls of the church. We're now part of the creation project to extend God's dwelling into all the earth. Adam and Eve's commission to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth is our commission. Jesus reworded it for us. Go and make disciples, he said, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Scotland needs more churches like this. The world needs more and more communities where God dwells. And by his power, we believe he wants to play, he wants us to play our part. We know God has called kings, this church, to plant more and more churches again and again. And this is why. Because the whole earth is to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Maybe you think I'm just getting carried away. You could hit me with some stats about the church's catastrophic decline in this country, or you could show me some news headlines about the latest church scandal and what a mess things are in. I don't doubt that. We are a work in progress, for sure. This project is not yet finished. This world in which we live is still broken and we face setbacks. We're still learning how to live as the new creation people that we are. God dwells with us, and yet we see him dimly through partially veiled eyes. Now we experience his presence in part. But one day, we will know him fully, face to face. By God's grace, we are heading somewhere glorious. Perhaps it would help you to know how this story, our story, ends. When you're building something, it helps to know what it should look like when it's finished, right? I've been doing lots of uh, building IKEA furniture lately, and uh, I like to take a good look at the picture on the box before I get started. I find it really helps me around that middle stage where inevitably I kind of make a mess of things and need to just backtrack slightly. Well, thankfully, on the final pages of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, God shows us where this is all heading. Jesus will return to finish once and for all what he started. Sin and evil and the devil will be destroyed 
and the creation project will be consummated. And here's what it will look like. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. No longer will God's dwelling be a garden, a garden city full of people. In the next chapter of Revelation, the last chapter of the whole Bible, the Apostle John includes a weird detail about this garden city. It is a giant cube. The the imagery is significant. The only other cube that appears in the Bible is the Holy of Holies in the temple. John is saying that the whole earth will finally be the temple of God. And living with him in his dwelling will be a people so vast that no one can count them from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of Jesus and celebrating what he has done This was always the destiny of creation. This is the destiny of the church. This is our future. I hope today that you have seen a vision of what the church really is, according to the Bible. I hope you've seen something of its significance it's, it's beauty and its glorious place in the story of God. Perhaps it doesn't fit with your previous perception of what church is all about. But by looking backwards and ahead in the story that we are in, my prayer is that God would instill something deep within you of his passion for the church, his dwelling, and the mission that we're all on to fill the earth with God's glory. You have a part to play in that. You and me, we get to partner with God himself as he builds his church here and in all the world. Amen?